Welcome back. We are in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. But before we get there, let's look back at yesterday. I said that there were four camps going back to Numbers 1 and Numbers 2. My notes got a little messed up, and I felt like something was off, so I went back and checked them. The names of the camp of the four groups or four camps were on the east side was Judah. On the west side was the camp of Ephraim. On the south side was the camp of Reuben. And on the north side was the camp of Nan. Uh, Dan. <laughs> uh, I said I said Dan yesterday, I think, instead of Dan, and Robeson instead of Ephraim. I don't know how I put that in my notes, and uh, I knew something, knew it wasn't right in my head. So correcting that. But again, how awesome is that, that God takes us all the way back to numbers here and Revelation, and when you have an aerial, if you had an aerial view, if you had a drone back then, God could see it, um, but man couldn't. But it was foreshadowing the cross, foreshadowing Jesus on the cross. You have these four camps, and uh, two of them in similar numbers, one in a short number and one in a long, a large number. And from an aerial view, it would have looked like the symbol of a cross. This foreshadowing, just the how he ties the books of the Bible together, it's unbelievable. And remember. If anybody says, how do you know that's real? It's, it's make-believe. It's contradictory. It is false. Let's look at the Bible. you got 40 different people who wrote 66 different books, or penned 66 different books, in three different languages over, in three, uh, over three different continents, period of 1,500 years, over 24,000 manuscripts to prove the Bible, the, the, uh, that the Bible was real. We have over 20,000, well over 20,000 archaeological finds that prove the people, places, figures, stories of the Bible. There is one central theme, no contradiction, over 300 prophecies fulfilled just in Jesus alone, not to profute, uh, not doesn't even include other prophecies that were fulfilled. I mean, this thing is just awesome, and God gave it to us. So how do I know it's real? Look at all that. The prophecy alone would be enough for me to believe it's real. You look at the manuscripts, there's nothing else even close. There's not a single contradiction. People will throw things out and say, oh, no, this, and judge not, and you can't judge me for my emotions and how I feel and culture. You're right. I can't tell you whether you have salvation, but God wants me to share with the truth with you, and that's different. That's not judging you, and God is just so good. So here we go in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sit on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So that was verses 9, 10, and 11. So let's go. Uh, That was the observation. Remember, there's three ways that you should... You should be three things that you be should be doing to understand the Bible, to learn it, to teach it, to be taught it. Application, interpretation, and I'm sorry, observation, interpretation, and application. Observation. That's just what we just did with the text. We read it. We observed what God has put before us. Now we're going to go and interpret it. We're going to say what does it mean, and that can be looking at the context of that particular culture, of the context of the verses and the situation of the message that he's trying to convey that's the interpretation what does it mean and then we'll um 
throw in some application, which is what does it mean to me right now? And the application may be different for different people. The application may be different for me as I read it today than when I read it a year from now or 10 years from now as my circumstances, my life, my thought life has changed a little bit. And so I may apply it differently um, to myself right now. So verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. What do the living creatures give? They give glory, honor, and thanks. Who do they give it to? To him. Who is him? Him who sits on the throne. Who sits on the throne? God. The question, the application for us is, do we give glory and honor and thanks to God? Do you give glory and honor and thanks to God? When things go well, it's a lot easier to give that glory and honor and thanks to God. Lord, thank you for this job. Thank you for this car. Thank you that my aunt was healed of her illness, whatever it is. But let's go deeper. And do we thank God even for the things that the world would not thank God for or thank anyone for? Do we thank Him for our trials? Do we thank Him for our sufferings? There's purpose in our trials. There's purpose in our sufferings. And again, we don't say, bring it on, I want to suffer. But we know that it will happen. It'll happen to everybody on life. And for the Christian who suffers, we we don't grieve, or we grieve, but not as those who grieve with no hope, for example, as, as one form of suffering. But there's purpose. And so as we're going through a trial, we'll go through that trial better if we can just say, Lord, I don't know what the purpose of this trial is right now. I don't know why I'm suffering with this illness, disease, loss of income, can't get a job, um, whatever the situation is, Lord. But I'm thanking you because I'm trusting that you're sovereign. I'm still receiving meals or shelter or whatever the case may be. There's something to thank God for. Look for those things of gratitude. Even from a worldly perspective, there's study after study that shows that if you write down what you're grateful for on a regular basis, monthly, weekly, daily, you're more likely to be productive and have a better thought life. So that's just a worldly thing, but God wants us to do that. God tells us to give glory and honor and thanks to him. He created us, and one theologian put it well when he said, the chief end of man is to glorify God. We are put here for God's pleasure. He created us for his pleasure because he wanted to. And isn't that amazing to think about? Because he knew how much I would sin, and he knew how much you would sin, and he knew who would be a person like, Hitler, or Saddam Hussein, or any of those. And they, or anyone like that, is not beyond repentance. They too can receive forgiveness from God if they invite him into their lives. Now, I personally don't believe that those two people that I just mentioned invited Jesus into their lives at the last hour, but I don't know. There's certainly a chance that they did. I don't think that they did, but remember, I'm not the judge or the jury, and you're not the judge or the jury. Our job is to go out and tell people about Jesus and show people who Jesus, uh, you know, be the hands and feet of Jesus so that people can see Jesus through us. But we don't get to judge who's saved. 
and someone may say, oh, you don't get to judge me. I just, I'll, I'll sort things out with God. It's like, okay, you don't say you weren't warned and you can't sort things out with God because he's not going to look at your works. He's not going to care how much money you gave away, how many old ladies you walked across the street, how many buildings you put your name on. He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is the stuff that was motivated for the love of Jesus. That's it. Everything else is just chaff that blows away. The fire will just burn it away, like the gold that gets uh, molten and liquid form until it gets all the impurities out. All the impurities just go away. What he wants to look at is that liquid gold and see a reflection of himself because all the impurities are gone. And that's what he's going to look at in a believer all the junk, all the sin, all the self-motivated things will be gone. He will just see the things that were motivated by him. Verse 9 goes on to say, who lives forever and ever. So God lives forever and ever. Remember, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not a created being. He always has been. God the Father did not create God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been around forever. And if you want something to blow your mind, go out, go listen to the evolutionists who say, well, there was a beginning and it began with an explosion. Okay, great. What caused the explosion? There has to be something that caused it, an agent of cause, the law of causation. And they'll be like, I don't know, it just happened. I just have faith that something happened. Well, who created the gases? Who created the atom? Who created the cause? And the evolutionist doesn't have an answer to that. They just say, I don't know. I just trust that it happened. Well, you're placing faith in something, and you also can't go back in time and prove it. I'm placing placing faith in something, and I also can't go back in time and prove it. But I would rather place my faith in the fact that there was a God who's supreme and infinite in wisdom and has always been, rather than placing my faith that there was a little piece or particle of gas or atom or whatever and it just created itself and it's an inanimate object and then it caused itself to explode and create a big bang no there is a big bang all right but that's because the god who's been around forever caused the big bang which is the six days of the creation of the world and the universe and then on the seventh he rested god is good he's been around forever and ever in verse 10 the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives. So they fall down before God who is on the throne. Remember, it's set in heaven. It's the center of the universe, that throne. It's not being carried around like the tabernacle. Yes, God is everywhere, but it's it's not, uh, you know, some people literally worship rocks because they're like, oh, God's in that. And they worship trees because they're, they're you know, little g, little g-o-d is in there. It's not like that. God is just everywhere because he's omnipresent. But the center of the universe is this throne, and he sits on it. And the elders fall down before him. So they're in heaven, and it's not like they're walking around all day, and you know they got their scooters or motorcycles or whatever, and they're saying, look at me, I'm saved, I've got salvation, come on, idolize me. No, no, they're saying, we're in the presence of God Almighty. He's been around forever and ever. And now we get to be around forever and ever with him. And we're co-heirs with Christ. And we have all the wealth that anyone could have imagined. It squashes the wealth that we see of Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and 
Warren Buffett and all those guys combined and multiplied times a million, that doesn't even compare to the wealth that we have in heaven. And yet they know their place and they fall down and worship him because they want to. It's pleasing to them. It's satisfying to them to worship him. And it says, and worship him who lives forever and ever. Well, we just saw that at the end of the verse before this. It said, who lives forever and ever. And here it says, who lives forever and ever. That's duplicating the same verse, one verse, or, or portions of that, fragments of that verse in verse 9 and also in verse 10. So we better pay attention to it. God lives forever and ever. Think about that. It's very simple. If there is a God, then the God can't be created. The God has to be around from the beginning, but she is the beginning, and has to be around forever because that's the definition of a God, is it not? For people who say, oh, there's multiple gods. Well, how could there be multiple gods? There's God A, B, and C. If God A has to bow to God B for anything, lightning, rain, wind, love, whatever it is, fertility, then God A is not a God. You get it? And if God B has to yield to God C for some segment, then God B doesn't have all the attributes to qualify for a God. There can only be one God. It's such a super simple concept. And I'll end with this, and it says, The 24-hour elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, we'll pick up that saying tomorrow, but it says they cast their crowns. There, have you ever heard of that, casting crowns? So you're only going to cast your crown, the thing that you earned on this life as a reward from God, not because of worldly motivation, but because of Jesus' motivation. And so he will reward you for that in heaven. But these people are saying, I'll take that crown that you gave me, God, and I've already got eternal life. That's the crown. I've got the crown of righteousness. You have clothed me in your righteousness. But I'm going to take these crowns and I'm just going to cast them at your feet because you are the one who's worthy. You are the one who deserves my crown. Much like if a baseball player who wins a game or something takes that baseball and hands it to that young kid in the audience and you just you, you get the emotions and the tears. You're saying, wow, that's amazing. They're giving up something so special. They could have given that ball to their kids. They could have sold that ball for hundreds of thousands or millions. It's special, but they're giving it away. And that's the, the vision I have in my head of us believers who are going to be in heaven and just saying, God, you're good. And I don't, I don't need this crown. I want to give it to you because you're the one who worthy. You're the only one. We will have such amazing respect and admiration for God in heaven. And what I pray is that we have that amazing respect and admiration for God right near, right here, right now, today on earth. Lord, today, in this moment, help us to glorify you. Help us to praise you. Help us to honor you. And the best way that we can do that is reading our Bibles, praying, talking to you and communicating with you constantly, cleaning up our thought life so that we think more th of things that are godly instead of worldly, cleaning up our what we do, what we say. Help us, Lord, not to lust, to covet, to be angry or bitter. Today is the day that we, today is the day of salvation, Lord. We want to help us to impact someone today a client, a colleague, a friend, a family member, a neighbor. Help us to impact them, them for the name, for the kingdom of you, for your kingdom, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day.